0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome again to AOA. Hope you're having a good day. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Coming up, we'll have the latest ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We're going to talk about legislation that has been introduced to protect E15 sales year-round. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, about that. And we'll talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net all coming up on today's program. But we're going to start things off today looking at the efforts and the challenges to expanding broadband coverage throughout rural America. Joining us now is Janie Dunning, a consultant for the Missouri Farm Bureau on this matter. And, Janie, thank you for joining us.
2: I'm glad to be with you this morning, Mike.
0: All right, let's 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 take a look at this. And we'll start with this news that the House Ag Committee has unanimously advanced a bipartisan bill to authorize $43 billion to expand rural broadband service nationwide, doing so by by dramatically increasing USDA's expiring loan and grant program. Uh, any thoughts on that? Is that, uh, is that needed? Will that help that loan program through USDA?
2: Uh, absolutely, Mike. USDA uh, has a, a great... Uh, broadband program and having it it has been mainly loans in the past. So having this ability to include some uh, grant funding with that has been uh, of great assistance, especially in the underserved area where the costs are higher. So having that extension and and those additional funds will be uh, will be an added benefit. Both uh, rural development USDA and FCC have have uh, been uh, uh, giving a lot of funds or putting a lot of funds available for for broadband, and that has helped over the last few years. That gets the money there. There's other things that have to be considered, but certainly there have been resources dedicated to uh, getting broadband deployed where it needs to.
0: The White House recently released a broadband coverage map, and it shows that rural America certainly is in need of faster internet speeds, but it also shows that some states are much further along and better off than others when it comes to broadband coverage. Um, Why is there such a difference state to state?
2: You know, that's that's always a question I get uh, uh, when we have interviews or when I'm even talking to people across our state. There are so many factors that go into deploying broadband, um, and, and each one of them can affect how quickly broadband is deployed in the state and at what speeds or service that they will receive, as well as what costs that the end user will have to pay. So, you know, we could start by naming a few. It depends on uh, what type of providers of the service are available. Are they they small providers? Are they the larger, typical broadband providers? Are they co-ops? Uh, that are uh, not for profits that, that can look at things a little bit different and provide provide um, the 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 service at a different in, in a different way. Uh, the geographical terrain is a major impact. Uh, you take North Dakota; uh, they've had an amazing uh, success at deploying broadband, but they have they have flat land that makes it easy to to install fiber. Uh, you get into Missouri, where we have hills and mountains and forests, and and uh, we're we're so diverse in that area. There's just some places that it's very very difficult to to get um, broadband deployed. So there's so many factors that enter into it that some states are going to progress at a much faster speed than than others.
0: What do you think is the the next step that needs to be taken? Uh, we mentioned the money that they're working on in Congress to try to provide help there. As you look at the challenges facing, whether it's a state like Missouri or any other part of rural America, trying to get more broadband and better, faster, more reliable service, and in some cases just get it there at all, what's the next step that needs to be taken?
2: I I, th- I think there's several steps that we're working on and, and that we're looking at. As I mentioned earlier, there have been an amount of funds that have been uh, allocated federally and even individually in some states that have state broadband funds what we have to remember is that broadband it's not like um, it's not like going out and buying something and you immediately have that car it's not like adding a phone line to your house and you immediately have telephone service it's not like buying a cell phone and you immediately have service when you're deploying broadband you're looking at a what can be what can be up to 10 years of getting the deployment uh in place so even though all these funds are coming down and and i i do want to say we're appreciative of that but we it's it's not at the point where we can just do a, a total hurrah that everybody now has the broadband that is that that was slated to get it with those funds that are being deployed so there, there can be a long period of time before that money, ever you ever see that money produce the broadband for those in customers. So that that's one piece of it. And all of the information that we get of people served and the data that's being collected are going to show that those individuals are served even though broadband is not maybe there yet. So I think the one challenge we have is trying to, Make sure that the money that has been awarded, that the the providers that receive that money actually do what they said they were going to do when they got the money, that they provide it to those customers at the speed that they said they would do. That's one piece. The the second piece is the the money that's being awarded is going toward um, what I'm going to say the providers that... That have received these awards, that are making these bids, are are serving uh, communities or or areas that are the easiest and and probably the the most cost effective for them to serve. So, basically, we have that last piece that I I really feel that we still have a big gap, and I call that the outside our community, our farmers, our ranchers, our individuals are li- living outside those communities, those are the ones that are gonna be the most cost effective and they're the ones that we've got to find a way to serve. And Missouri Farm Bureau has added precision ag and, and, and the area of agriculture as a primary uh, focus at this time because that's the piece that we have not hardly any information to even measure what's being done in agriculture right now. So we'd like to see that piece added and then our focus is going to be how we're going to extend all the funds that are available, which is why USDA's funds could be um, could be a, a major impact on us helping to reach those agriculture individuals.
0: Yep, a lot of challenges ahead, uh, but a lot of work being done on this. And Janie, thanks for bringing us up to date. We look forward to talking with you again about this very important topic. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Mike.
0: Janie Dunning, a broadband consultant for the Missouri Farm Bureau. Up next, we take a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers. What do they tell us about the ag economy? We'll get into all that with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away, more Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique,
3: original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient
4: and profitable.
0: Visit DTNPM.com today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined by Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We've had some setbacks in the courts from the Supreme Court and the Appellate Court on waivers and now on E15 year-round sales. The news isn't all bad. First, give us your assessment of where we're at after these rulings and your outlook for the industry now moving forward.
5: You know, obviously very disappointed in these rulings, and they definitely are setbacks, but this battle is far from over. And the good news on the E15 ruling is this decision doesn't change anything for retailers who are currently selling E15 this summer. They don't have to do anything different for now. The D.C. Circuit essentially put a stay on its ruling. Again, the good news is we don't expect the court decision on E-15 to have any impact on gallons sold this summer and the retailer's ability to sell E-15 uh, through the middle of September.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
6: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block,
0: You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information
1: America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Just following up on our conversation with Janie Dunning consulted on broadband for the Missouri Farm Bureau. This is such a critical area f- for the country, especially for rural America. I, I, I think what happens if you are in an area that has and you're fortunate enough to have good broadband service, you kind of get to where you think, well, probably everybody has it. But that is not the case. We have uh, areas in this country without it and certainly areas without very reliable service or high-speed service. So, And it's becoming more and more critical in so many ways, uh, just uh, in our daily lives and uh, Uh, providing the services that people need, especially in rural areas. And uh, we talk a lot about the advances in precision ag and things like that. Well, uh, so much of what we can do or hope to be able to do more of in the future revolves around having good broadband service. So this is a critical area, and uh, steps are being taken. Some states much further along than others, but uh, uh, there are still some challenges and issues ahead that uh, we have to work on. So we'll we'll be talking more about that issue certainly in the days to come. And again our thanks to Janie Dunning for being with us for an update on that issue. All right coming up we're going to talk about some legislation that's been introduced to try to uh, uh, protect E15 year-round sales uh, now that the courts have ruled against uh, that uh, ruling by the EPA. And uh, where do we go from there? Here we're going to talk with Jeff Cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association about that in just a moment all right let's go over now the latest ag equipment sales numbers as we do each month with kurt blades senior vice president of ag services for the association of equipment manufacturers kurt good to talk with you again i see we have uh, some declines in the numbers uh this time kind of break it down for us well i'll tell you
7: what we saw uh you know a little bit of decline on, in a couple of the categories in G, for tractor sales. But the, you know the real story is we still continue to be up for the year across all sectors. Uh, this month we did see some decline in that uh, under forty horsepower market that's been so hot for so long. Uh, we and I think we're kind of maybe starting to find the level on that. But the other good news is that uh, hundred plus horsepower tractors are looking really good. And as you know, those are uh, those are. And tractors and good row crop tractors so uh, i put a little bit of indication of where farmers attitudes are right now
0: kurt there are so many supply chain issues now as we're coming out of uh, the pandemic and uh, we know there's some labor issues as well uh, where are we in being able when a, a farmer wants to buy a piece of equipment in and getting that equipment to them
7: well you left out steel and transportation <laughs>
0: but, mm-hmm. but yeah there are supply chain
7: issues around the around the around the globe and i think you know what we're, what we're finding is that uh you know the supply chain issues that exist in ag equipment are the same ones everywhere else if you're wanting to buy a truck or you wanting to buy a a coaster um, everything is on a little bit of a delay i will say that uh you know the, the best thing to cure the supply chain issues uh, at least as it relates to ag equipment, it's going to be going to be time. And it, from what I get indications off from our members, is that we're we're just kind of right around the corner uh, from this uh, this the shock to the system sort of being worked worked out. Uh, but I think uh, yeah, I think farmers can can still continue to uh, you know work closely with their dealers on, on on delivery and and certainly early orders always help help the matter. But I think uh, I think we're in for uh, for a few more months of, of tight supplies kind of around the world in this market.
0: Yeah, we talk all the time about what's the demand for ag equipment. Uh, we kind of in the past have taken for granted that uh, the supply would be there, but now we have the supply issues. Can supply keep up with demand? Well, that's and you know that's what makes this even more
7: complicated. Mike is that uh, we've got. You know this this heightened demand that came came as a result of the pandemic that uh, is 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 adding to the complexity of of an already pretty tight supply chain. So you know if you look at those under 40 horsepower tractors, I know that those are on order for a little while. Uh, and same way with, uh, I, think, I think if you're ordering a, a, a big piece of equipment like a combine, that might be on order for a little while as well. So it's it's like, uh, you know, two things happening at once. The demand is up there and the supply chain challenge, supply chain challenge is happening at the same time, and that uh, creates, a, you know, the tighter situation that we're in right now.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned combines. As we look ahead to this fall's harvest, uh, the orders that were already placed for combines, uh, where are you in, in being able to uh, fill those orders?
7: Well, every indication that I've been getting from uh, from members is that we're on track to meet uh, to meet deliveries uh, as ordered. So we should be should be good for that. And I think as we we've, we've been saying for a while, I, mean, I think you know, manufacturing really taken taking seriously the time sensitive nature of, of farming. So. When it comes to, you know, where parts being available to make sure that the crop gets in the ground for planting or combines being available and where parts being available and combines for harvest, that's a high priority. So I know the manufacturers are working really really close to make sure that those those, uh, machines that were on order are able to be in the field this fall.
0: When you look at the numbers of what's up and what's down in far as sales, what, what, what do those numbers tell you about the ag economy? Well, I'll tell you what—what what really does tell you, especially when
7: you look at numbers like combines and articulated full wheel drive, comp- uh, drive tractors, and row crop tractors for that matter. Those are all, you know, considered purchases. And when you see growth of 24 uh, percent year over year for the month of June, or 23 percent for the year in 100-plus uh, horsepower tractors, it's a pretty good indication that farmers are feeling positive about what the that the next few years are going to hold because you're not buying a tractor as an impulse purchase you're buying a tractor uh, to use for for a number of years and it works into your business operation so you look at those those uh, more um uh, considered purchases, maybe the larger investments and seeing those up across the board it tells me that the uh, farms are pretty optimistic out there
0: we're talking with kurt blades with the association of equipment manufacturers You hear some noise in the background. He's joining us from an airport. We appreciate his time. Kurt, uh, we just, in the last segment, we were talking about the challenges uh, of getting uh, reliable, dependable broadband service uh, throughout rural America and uh, some of the progress that's been made, but some of the challenges that remain. And I mentioned that, you know, for agriculture, this is key. I mean, we talk so much about precision agriculture and the technology that's available more and more, but we need good broadband service, don't we? That is absolutely the case, is that, uh, you know, for us to really realize that full potential that,
7: that uh, precision ag has, both the economic benefit to the farmer, but the uh, kind of the, the environmental benefits, societal benefits of, uh, of it all aggregated, we've got to have good rural broadband. And it's not just rural broadband to the anchor institutions of, of uh, schools and libraries and hospitals, uh, but it's got to be to the farmhouse. It's got to be the farm office. And it's got to be wireless in sealed. And so, you know, we're working tirelessly along with, you know, most of the other uh, ag, ag associations that are voices in D.C. to just hammer that message home to anyone that will listen that, uh, that, that we need good, reliable, real, bo- real broadband. And in the case of tractors, there's some specific thing, or it's ag equipment. It needs to be consistent. Uh, uh, it needs to be constant on. It needs you know, adequate bandwidth going up and adequate bandwidth going down. And that education process has been really fun to talk to, you know, uh, regulators and, and those that are providing those funds to talk about those needs specifically to Precision Ag and also the farm community. And I'll tell you what, they're a receptive audience right now. they like to hear it.
0: Yeah, and I've talked with farmers about, you know, in their area, they are limited to what they can do as far as access to technology and some of the practices, precision practices, they would like to uh, use on their farm. They are limited by their uh, their broadband service.
7: That's, that's absolutely the case um, I mean it's just there's there's uh, good technology that is just anxious to be adopted and what what we've had some real success in talking to you know, some of the you know some of the non-traditional uh, folks to put some influence when we start talking about the uh, obviously the technology benefits that the farmer wants to enjoy uh, that's great but boy when you start talking about the environmental benefits that this technology uh, allows and what you know we talk about carbon reductions that gets the attention of other organizations like EPA, and then they begin to put some pressure on FCC and USDA and other groups that are that are looking into this funding. So we're all kind of singing singing the same song. And i tell say the message is getting out there. You see some numbers out there where where uh, you know specifically real broadband gets called out in uh, proposed infrastructure bills, and and uh, that's good news to me. I mean that's good. That should be good news for all of us because. If the pandemic pointed out one thing, it pointed out the fact that we've got a significant rural-urban divide on broadband access.
0: All right, Kurt. Safe travels to you. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate the update. We'll talk again next month. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Kurt Blades, Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Well, the courts uh, dealt a blow to year-round E15 sales, not so much this year, but perhaps moving forward. But there's a move in Congress to uh, make sure to try to assure that we can have E15 access year-round. We'll talk about that and more with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams, you're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away, more Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for round the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
2: DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, What is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com.
8: You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. The U.S. drought monitor continues to show severe drought in Iowa and Minnesota and even worse in the Dakotas. Canada's crop continues to be threatened by adverse weather this week. Some traders argue that U.S. corn and bean production will also fall short of the USDA's forecast and further tighten carryout. Others point out yesterday's NOPA crush fell below trade estimates and was the smallest June crush in two years. September corn on the board of trade this morning, trading a penny and a fraction higher at 5.65 and a half cent. The December contract up three and three quarters at 5.59 and three quarters. For soybeans, the September contract up 19 at 14.13 and a fraction. The November contract up 17 and a fraction at 13.97 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up 14 at 6.93. Kansas City wheat December up nine and three quarters at 6.60 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat September up 17 and a half cent at 9.11 and a half cent. December contract up 14 and a half cent at 895 and a half cent. In the weekly export sales report, it was a bit disappointing for live cattle as they only reached 9300 metric tons, down 61% from the previous week and 44% from the four-week average. On the board of trade, August live cattle up 15 at 12127, the October contract up 20 at 1-26-72. For feeder cattle, September down 35 at 15887, the August contract down 40 at 156.90. In lean hogs, August trading $1. fifty-two higher at 105.80, the October contract up 82 at 90.22. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 53 points, the Nasdaq composite down 7, the S&P 500 down 5, crude oil in New York, the August contract down 44 cents at 71.21 per barrel, the U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl.
6: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
0: I like that too.
6: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers
1: and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, the Fuel Ethanol Workshop was held this week in Iowa. Keynote speaker was Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He joins us now. Jeff, thanks for being with us. So how was the the workshop? What was the mood, the attitude there after what's uh, been a rough few weeks uh, here lately for the biofuels industry? Was it upbeat or or would you say somewhat down?
5: Well, Mike, I'd say it was was quite upbeat. And I think the main reason for that is is people were just excited to see each other. After really two years of doing these meetings virtually and trying to communicate uh, from a distance, it was just really nice to see people face-to-face get reacquainted with folks that we hadn't seen in person for, for really a couple of years. The, the last big in-person event in our industry was the National Ethanol Conference back in February of 2020. So it's been a year and a half since we've seen a lot of these folks, and it was just great um, to get back together, it felt a bit like a family reunion. So I, I would say, you know, if, if for no other reason, um, the the mood was pretty upbeat and um, jovial. Now, you're right. We've had some, some setbacks in recent weeks. We've had some very disappointing court decisions. Um, but I, I was reminded this week just how resilient this industry is um, and just the character of the folks in this industry. We're not going to let a couple of court decisions get us down or – deter us from continuing to move forward uh, with with our mission to expand the production and use of of ethanol yeah
0: this industry has uh, taken a lot of blows over the years and uh, had some down moments but uh, always bounces back very very resilient indeed Um, i know a lot of the focus uh, has been On waivers but also on the recent E15 ruling, uh, the courts uh, ruling against the year-round E15 sales, but now we have a move in Congress to address that issue. Tell us about that.
5: Well that's right Mike, Uh, you know about a week after we got that disappointing DC Circuit Court ruling that essentially throws out EPA's rule that finally had allowed us to sell E15 year-round. You know, less than a week after that, we had uh, some of our friends in Congress already introducing legislation to remedy that recent court decision um, and and make it permanent law that this RVP waiver was intended uh, to, to be extended to E15 and higher blends, and that it's always been Congress's intent to support the expansion of, of ethanol blending and, and use. And so we did, and the Senate uh, saw... Our friends, uh, Senator Fisher from Nebraska and Senator Klobuchar from Minnesota, uh, worked together to introduce a bill that would uh, permanently codify the RVP waiver for E15. And then we saw companion legislation introduced in the House by Representatives Craig from uh, Minnesota and Smith from Nebraska. So you know, Someone now the hope is uh, to to get the you know get get moving on that legislation, and hopefully we can get something across the goal line.
0: Yep, that's going to be key, uh, getting it across the goal line, as you said. All right, uh, as we look at that waiver situation, what do we know about how EPA is handling the waiver requests that they have?
5: Well, we're still waiting for some information from EPA on what are they going to do with the 70 uh, small refiner exemption petitions that are still sitting at the agency. We actually saw six of those petitions withdrawn, this week, um, which was interesting to us, we don 't have uh, much more information on on why the refiners pulled those back, um, but you know we are confident and remain optimistic that EPA, uh, even with that recent Supreme Court decision, is going to significantly constrain the the number of, of exemption petitions that it's approving and the reason we believe that is because the Supreme Court really only addressed one very narrow piece of that Tenth Circuit Court ruling that had thrown out small refinery exemptions. And there's, so there's two other critical components to that Tenth Circuit ruling that remain in place that uh, that we think will really restrain EPA's ability to give these, these waivers out. And the other thing that we have going for us is this administration um, has stated quite clearly, just as a matter of principle and a, ma- a matter of policy, um, they thought what the Previous administration was doing was was wrong by by issuing all of these waivers. So, um, you know, with the, the, some of those key components of the 10th Circuit decision still in place, and just with a changed attitude and mindset with this administration, we do expect uh, to see those those exemptions wound down. Now, you know, we're hoping that we 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 get some news pretty soon on those. The marketplace is really looking for direction and, and looking for some clarity and certainty uh moving forward and we're still waiting on those rvo rules so um you know still a lot of still a lot of balls in the air that uh we're, we're waiting on epa to address
0: yeah clarity and certainty those are elusive that's for sure we're talking with jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association so uh you point out jeff we're still waiting for those rvo levels that, that's certainly going to be key and gives us an indication of <laughs> what this administration is going to do, right? I mean, uh, do you yep. do you think they might lower those levels?
5: Well, there's there's lots of rumors going around and lots of chatter about what this administration may or may not do with the RVOs. We know they are under immense pressure from the oil industry. Uh, the refiners are leaning hard on the Biden administration, and and they've you know they've gotten their elected officials to weigh in. And we're especially talking about a, a handful of East Coast refiners. Um, you know, they've got the Delaware uh, senators uh, engaged and 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 weighing in with uh, President Biden, you know, somebody that they know really well and 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 worked with when he was in the Senate. Um, so that's going on. But at the same time, I, you know, I remain uh, very skeptical of some of the rumors we're hearing. i I continue to believe uh, this EPA, uh is is intending to get the rfs back on track and they're not going to be able to do that if they lower or weaken the rvo's in any way so we, we remain pretty confident that we're going to see strong rvo levels uh for 2021 and 2022 and and you know as you said this is really the this administration's first uh first rodeo on rvo's and so it will set the tone and really send the signal um, uh, to the industry and and so we're looking for strong RVOs and hope to see those very soon.
0: Jeff as we go to the pump uh, we're all getting some sticker shock as gas prices keep going up but that also is an opportunity to highlight the savings you can get uh, with ethanol blends and those really stand out when gas prices are high like this.
5: Well that's absolutely right Mike And, and you know, a lot of people are, are pointing to the fact that, well, you know, we got high corn prices, and that means we're gonna, you know, got to have high ethanol prices um, in order to make the economics work. Um, well, it's true we're dealing with with uh, relatively high corn prices, but even with that, we're still seeing ethanol prices um, at the plant and at the wholesale level below gasoline, and, and you know, we're talking 10 or 15 cents per gallon lower than gasoline. Uh, and then you add on top of that the benefit of the RIN credit from the RFS. And so, you know, just as an example, last week a refiner or a blender could buy a gallon of ethanol for $2.20, a, and and that gallon comes with a free RIN credit. And when they blend that ethanol with gasoline, they can separate that RIN and sell it for $1.50 to some refiner who is refusing to blend ethanol. And so really the net cost of that ethanol to the blender is $0.70 cents a gallon. And that's why we see, you know, these these substantial discounts for uh, you know, blends like E85 and, and E15 and E30 uh, at the retail pump. And, and like you said, that's especially noticeable when we have gas prices
0: that continue to march upward. And hey, we've seen this repeatedly over the years, that if— when the gas prices go up, that's when motorists start noticing <laughs> ethanol yep. because they see the, the price difference at the pump.
5: That, that's, that's absolutely right. And, and we have seen historically our strongest months for E85 sales and, and E15 and other higher blends have been when we have elevated gas prices because you, you're exactly right. That's when that differential, that difference really um, becomes uh, magnified. And, and we are seeing e eighty five in some places being sold for you know a, a dollar dollar and a quarter less per gallon at retail than e ten and And so that you know that 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 gets people's attention and they start asking pretty quick if, hey, can I use that fuel? Do I have a flex fuel vehicle? Um, and so we're we're seeing that again this summer and and I think that bodes well for the industry, and I think it's also a reason why when you look at the weekly numbers coming out of the Department of Energy, we're seeing very strong demand for ethanol right now, and that's obviously a good sign after the, the, the last few years we had, which were pretty rough in terms of the supply-demand
0: picture. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. We are seeing uh, the demand go up, right? People are starting to get out and, uh, and uh, using more gasoline, and that, and that yeah. means more ethanol.
5: Yeah, in fact, we saw the week before J- the July 4th holiday record gasoline consumption. And I'm not talking record this year, record over the past decade, all-time record level of gasoline consumption. Um, If you look at it on an annualized basis, if we were to continue at at that rate for an entire year, we would be consuming 154 billion gallons of gasoline uh, in the U.S. That's where we were that week before July 4th. Um, So things have returned to pre-pandemic levels and, and then some in terms of gasoline consumption. And that's incredibly uh, supportive and helpful uh, for ethanol blending and and for our industry.
0: And that's why the effort continues to make sure that when they're out there purchasing that gasoline, that they have uh, the choice, the options for those higher ethanol blends. Jeff, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we talk markets with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. Rain continues to fall in parts of the Midwest, other areas staying dry. How do the markets react moving forward? We'll talk about it next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
8: Vision loss
0: Recently, on Adams on Agriculture, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Great numbers. What's behind them?
7: Very exciting, actually. The momentum that we had in March and April continues in May. Broad-based growth across the whole spectrum for the most part. Uh, beef set a record, uh, all-time record for the month, a little over $900 million exported uh, globally. But it was a combination of Korea, China, Japan, Taiwan, and and Mexico. So you had five or six uh, fairly prominent markets that all showed real uh, sustained uh, growth. So uh, that's exciting. And, of course, on the pork side, it wasn't a record, but it was the third largest month ever. So a very respectable month, um, about 284,000 metric tons. the diversification into these other countries uh, is very important.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on
4: Adams on Agriculture. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player for the Indianapolis Colts. Becoming a running back was no easy task for me, but it's nothing compared to what my amazing mom faces every day. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14 years old, yet she's always there for me, every step of the way, despite her own battles and the Muscular Dystrophy Association is there for my mom. At their 150 care centers across the U.S., MDA is the leading organization in research and care for kids and adults with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. Their research is helping find cures and save lives. Watching my mom go through her daily struggles and the care she receives from MDA has made me determined to help find a cure for neuromuscular disease. That is why I support MDA and that's why I'm so grateful to others who do too. Join me and learn more at helpmda.org today.
6: Blood clots can happen to anyone. Up to 900,000 people in the United States are affected by blood clots each year, and 100,000 die from them. Blood clots don't discriminate. You or a loved one could be at risk right now. The good news is blood clots can be prevented, knowing the risks and symptoms are key. On average, one person in the United States dies of a blood clot every six minutes. Don't let that be you or someone you know. Learn more at StopTheClot.org slash spread the word.
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: All right, let's talk markets with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net and... For those that may be listening in areas where it's really dry, you may want to cover your ears for just a moment. But we're going to talk about more rain in central Illinois where where Matt and I live. And uh, I don't know about you, on your side of the state, Matt, another inch and a half to inch and three quarters where I'm at over west of you. Uh, I mean, we've, we've had good moisture throughout this growing season.
3: Oh, mercy. Uh, we've had plenty, uh, no question about it and uh overnight actually i doubled you up uh we were anywhere from three two to three five wow. uh, over around mattoon i heard guys i had five to six inches so uh too much rain for the beans let's just be honest about it it's definitely hurting the beans at this stage but the corn looks good i think the corn's far enough along uh you know it's pollinated for the most part in our part of the world and it certainly isn't hurting from moisture so uh, yeah, there's going to be holes out in the field, no question about it. But I think there's going to be some incredible yields at the same time. So uh, it's going to be a mixed bag, definitely a mixed bag. And not every, people are just don't want any more rain right now in our part of the world. Uh, and I hate that for those that really need it because uh,
0: I'm sure they don't want to listen to this too much. Yeah, I wish we could spread that out. But you're right, we're starting to get – in some of these areas that look to have very very good production this year if the rains keep coming then that's going to be cut back because as you said uh, too much rain and holes in the fields and things like that so uh, we're kind of really kind of on the edge here aren't we uh, getting a handle on production for this year we know the very dry areas and now if the good areas are having some pro- may get into some problems then you got with the tight uh, stock situation what do you see moving forward with the markets
3: uh, you know, it's going to be a, a tough one to figure out, to be honest. You know, Mike, I don't know how many times we've come in here in the month of July and had such broad, widespread rains in states. Mm-hmm. Now, I know North Dakota's dry. I know parts of South Dakota and Minnesota are dry. Uh, and even up in, like, for instance, parts of Iowa. But uh, let's face it, a lot of folks have had a lot of rain in July. And typically when that's the case, it's uh, Katie Bar the Door to the downside for this market. Uh, So what's going on? You know, how come we rallied this week? You know, a couple of different things. Obviously, where it's bad, the forecast is for things to get worse. Okay, so anyone who is excessively dry in the upper northwest uh, definitely has got uh, a tough forecast headed their way. The 18-14 day looks rough as can be. Uh, The carryout levels, stocks usage levels, uh, extremely tight on both old crop and new crop corn. Uh, depending on what kind of yield you're going to use, of course. But, you know, there's uh, there's still a lot of folks out there that uh, are very well understanding that uh, you're going to really struggle to get above 1.5 billion bushels unless you significantly change the old crop balance sheet. Now, one way you could possibly do that, we really need inspections to be solid. The last several weeks of the marketing year, we're going to lose a little bit, in my opinion, and add some to that carryout just on exports. But regardless, it's still a tight situation and that's a big reason why you're continuing to see the markets uh, doing what they're doing here this week.
0: And we've also seen in uh, in big parts of the Midwest, cooler than normal temperatures for pollination time.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's been really good uh, weather. I mean, I know some people seem a little concerned about the cloud cover uh, but at the same time, I think that you're, you're, you're in really good shape. I don't think you're going to have any major pollination issues. But I did see a couple of people post just uh, where uh, down in the Delta that they would had either rain or cloud cover uh, during the heart of their pollination. And they ended up with, uh, you know, uh, a significant amount of tip back. I don't know if that was very widespread or not. I sure hope we don't see that much in, in my part of the world. Because, again, uh, these corn plants in, in, in your area and in my area really haven't hurt too much this year really haven't uh, seen too much in the way of stress, and I think you could see some awfully good yields, uh, which is certainly uh, something that we'd like to see, uh, you know, given the last few years and the kind of struggles that we've seen, this would be a really good year for all of us to heal up.
0: We're also reminded, as I often am reminded by farmers, that uh, we're a long ways from having the crop in the bin. And that, does that add to that volatility, that uncertainty with the markets?
3: Absolutely. You know, you talked to a producer, you know, in the heart of Iowa last year uh, before the Dre Show went through, and uh, no doubt they felt like they were uh, sitting pretty, you know. And the unfortunate fact of the matter is that even in the month of August, you can see your hopes dash pretty quickly and change everything, not only about this marketing year, but next one as well, because obviously it posed a lot of issues for those producers here in 2021. But uh, the market uh, knows that the areas that are good, we need to remain good into excel uh, if we're going to pull up the areas that aren't very good and uh, looking at again the 6 to 10 and 10 to 14 it looks uh, to me that we're going to add some stress and now fortunately those of us who have had a lot of rain are going to be able to withstand that uh, for the most part uh, at the same time soybeans are probably going to need another drink later on uh, even for those of us that are saturated right now but uh, bottom line is we need the weather to be much better overall Uh, than what it's been here,
0: uh, or at least what the forecast is suggesting that it's going to be. So what kind of questions are you getting from producers, and what are you talking with them about as far as marketing strategy?
3: You know, how far do I push my sales? You know, I'm getting out a lot. Uh, You know, so a producer who's sitting here in central Illinois who thinks that, you know, they've quite frankly got a 200-plus yield. Uh, They're looking at 550-plus corn, you know, 565 on the board. Uh, And so there's a lot of 550 fall delivery out of the field bids right now floating around and i think a lot of producers are sitting here saying you know why wouldn't i get to for instance 200 <laughs> bushel an acre sold if they think they've got over 200 that they're going to grow the thing is again you don't know until you know you know what this yield is going to be and so uh, you got to be a little bit cautious if to overcommit yourself on physical bushels the other thing i'm a- being asked do i use my bins this year I mean that's a great question, Mike. Because uh, what are you going to do if you're if you harvesting, for instance, 200 plus corn? I know not everyone's in that situation, but if you are and you're able to sell at five to 550 out of the field, maybe even six, uh, what is the incentive to put it in the bin? And uh, the thing is that I think a lot of folks are going to sell out of the field this year, which might make it a very interesting proposition later on for those that still got corn in the bin.
0: Yeah, a lot of questions, and uh, it will be interesting. Good to talk with you, Matt. Thanks a lot.
3: Absolutely. Thanks, bud.
0: Take care. Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. That does it for today and for the week. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you again next week right here on AOA.